As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the Hold That Podcast podcast, everybody. As always, I'm your host, Chris Branch, along with my co-host and LSU beat reporter, Brody Miller. Brody, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We are in this netherworld now where uh, the Ed Ogeron firing is not fresh, and yet we still have a few weeks left of the season until we find out who his replacement will be. Um, we're going to talk about the game this weekend later, but let's start with you published a good story this morning everybody should go read it on the athletic just about what you're hearing on the coaching search and i feel like that's what you know we're all talking about right now i i can tell you at my tailgate the entire time it was uh lincoln riley then dave aranda then what who what it's it, it is the topic of conversation so let's just get into it um here's the interesting thing i i, I thought about what you wrote is that as we talked about previously in an episode where there was just a feeling that it was going to be Jimbo. I think we even named the episode. Let's talk about Jimbo because yeah. that, that was the, the notion around the LSU circles was, but it's going to be Jimbo. Right. And while it may seem that LSU still has hopes for that, Jimbo has come out pretty strongly. Although I think I'll put this in the show notes. I don't believe a damn word he says. Um, but it just seems like it might not end up being Jimbo. What is your feeling on that? Yeah, and it's such a good place to start just because I feel like the way people talk about coaching searches, like, you know, the readers, listeners, fans, and all that, I, don't, I mean, I don't blame you. Like, we're all just grasping, myself included, grasping at straws to kind of try to get nuggets. But there's sometimes this, like, notion out there that, like, because something doesn't happen, it means what was said earlier isn't true. And I think the baseball search is the best example of that ever. Is that people like all of a sudden after the fact are like, see, man, like Jay he he wasn't going like he was going for Jay Johnson. And it's like, no, he was they were very deep in talks with with you know, um sorry, Kevin O'Sullivan and they were they were deep in talks with Cliff Godwin and they actually were talking about like just because those things don't happen doesn't mean they weren't true that they were going down that path you know what i mean and i feel yep. like that is this is that is a really good thing to just remind people because i think it's the most exhausting part and it's why quite frankly 
I usually don't ever try to report on like what I'm hearing on coaching searches with whether it's coordinators or head coaches. And I have a lot of colleagues who try not to, too, because they are very fickle beasts. And there is nothing I know in this whole it's recruiting and coaching searches. Shoot, I think recruiting is a little clearer than coaching searches where it's the two things where just things change constantly. It might be a done deal and then it's not until it happens. So it's like a lesson to always learn. Like these things aren't ever concrete. And I, so I say all that to say, yeah, I think the gym, I mean, for about two, three weeks there leading up to about late last week, I'd say there was real, real buzz that like there was optimism Jimbo Fisher was coming. It's not like we were rumoring it. And then all of a sudden, like he came out and said, no, like there the LSU camp had some confidence there. There was people close to Woodward who were kind of confident. And people close to Jimbo were denying it. But at the same time, it was it was kind of – there seemed to be validity to it. And now I – and then about – I want to say around Thursday of last week, I started hearing some more people pretty – you know, say, hey, it actually seems like it's going to be a no from Jimbo. And that's more of a – I'm not saying like he was a yes and then he's a no, but like I don't that was a change. You know what I mean? I feel like it's just worth mm-hmm. clarifying that to people. It's something that I, I care about. So it, it did seem like there was more of a change that, hey, it actually seems like a no. And there and I put in the story and you mentioned it. There are and you know, you even said it's hard to believe anything they say. There's yeah, Scott Woodward is probably going to keep tabs on that one and make him say no all the way up till a coach is hired. Like I do not think it's like literally over, but it does feel like the combination of what I've been hearing even before Jimbo's comments, and then you add in that very very strong statement. I guess we should read it really quickly for our listeners in case they don't. I have it up right now. Yeah, I can perfect. read it there to you, you because because yeah. one of my favorite things to do during the coaching carousel I know I've mentioned to you is read coaches quotes and try to see how they wriggle out of it when they end up doing the opposite. So (laughs) here's the full quote quote. We're going to recruit an unbelievable class this year. So I'm the dumbest human being on God's earth to recruit all these guys to A&M so I can go across over there to LSU and go play against them. I ain't going nowhere. I don't want to be nowhere else. I love being right here in quotes. Now that last part, very strong. The first part cynical me says, He's really hyping up his own recruiting class, so when he comes to LSU, he can convince all those guys he still loves them and bring them with him. <laughs> See, that is why you're the best, because you, you picked that out. I, you know, hey, that's fair. <laughs> no, I I kind of, I get it. And, like, I, I loved Ross, our Dellinger friend, you know, basically immediately quote tweeting and saying, so Jimbo Fisher just gave us permission to call him the dumbest human ever if he actually goes. <laughs> yeah. But, but I do see his argument, and I think, the like, the crux deep down of his argument was so much as, like, with all these things, there's this notion of you go to LSU, suddenly you're going to be able to get these elite classes. And, it, and then he's kind of saying, like, guys, I already have them. <laughs> like, I already am getting the elite classes. Why do I need to go to LSU to do it? And and I think there's a lot of other things going on there. Like, you know, I think there's the elements of he has a really great situation there. And he's a lot of power there. And, you know, I think there's also some things with, you know, he, he runs some charities for his son. And, and I think he from what I understand, like brought a lot of people over, you know, like from Florida okay. to come there and, you know, like those things, just those little life factors that kind of like make it harder to, to leave all well, those they, they, they get lost when these people are characters in our favorite recurring TV drama every Saturday. And Very well put. They have. <laughs> Very um, well put. So yeah. yeah, they're the all, all, you know, long story short, it does seem like there, it is less likely that Jimbo Fisher is going to go to LSU. And then you add these comments in and it seems pretty, pretty concrete. We'll, we'll believe it when we see it, but still, I think it's at this point where I think the search from what I've heard is moving on past uh, the Jimbo Fishers of the world. You know, it's a, the thing I thought about too, especially paired with their game this weekend is that 
I'm sure Jimbo thinks, you know, he's bringing in this great recruiting class and he's finally settling in his foundation at A&M, which is the, the foundation at A&M has been shaky for about two decades now. Um, talent wise, you know, they have the potential, but they've never been consistently a winner. And now he thinks, you know, I have a good program in place. I have all this stuff. Why not? Why would I leave now when I'm just selling him? Because like the A&M teams, no matter how well Jimbo can coach them, like they went and lost by 10 points at Ole Miss and looked thoroughly outplayed most of the game. So, you know, maybe he thinks they're bring he's bringing them from eight and four to ten and two every year. And why is he going to leave just to start over again at LSU? Blah blah blah. I get it. And like I've said on previous podcasts, I'm not heartbroken to see Jimbo go down the road. That's okay. I think I think some new blood might be good. So, speaking of new blood, the second guy on this list, Lincoln Riley, who I would just love. It was interesting. I, I, I've gauged a lot of my. Uh, friends and colleagues and you know whoever and everybody seems very split on Lincoln there's some people who don't like him and that's really? weird to me because I, I just think he would man I think he would bring everything I, I think the whole thing is that it is he is coordinator dependent um, on a defensive coordinator oh come you know? on every single one of these coaches you're talking about I know are I agree with dependent. you yeah I agree with you this no, is know, the line that people are th- and I would have confidence. I would have more confidence than Lincoln Riley to hire a good coordinator, especially to LSU. I mean, Alex Grinch has had his struggles at Oklahoma. I think they've gotten better this year, but um, I mean, we saw what LSU did against him, him, his defense, good defense, a couple years ago. Um, I don't know. I think he would be an absolute home run. I think he is number one on this list uh, to me. Uh, you know, m- my feelings on Lane Kiffin aside, because I still. Uh, would love Lane Kiffin, but that seems like it's just totally dissipated. I, you know, so it was ever a thing. You know what I mean? I guess I, I guess so. I mean, I'm just so I, that leads me to like my next preface. I keep prefacing. I feel like I need to because I feel like I tried to in the story, but I can't sometimes. And it's like I think I'm I'm already getting some flack on the story for like not mentioning certain names. And and this is a thing that I really <laughs> get through is. And by the way, some of these names that I didn't mention, they totally might surprise me. Totally, but. Like you, I think fans are so conditioned by the listicle, like coach candidate things. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they oh, just mention yeah, all the... these guys that might make sense and all these things, and you just throw these names. And by the way, there's a little bit of this that's also just throwing names out there. Like, I'm aware of that, but mm-hmm. I'm absolutely not going to claim that I have like the hardest information on this. But there's this thing where like fans see these names constantly. And they think that means they are actually like a, like a top candidate for it. And they actually think because they keep seeing the name pop up that like, oh, it's their job to lose or something and all this stuff. And it's like, have you seen the reporting say there was ever actually a mutual interest there? There was actually conversations there. And that part exhausts me because I've had like eight people reply to me like, why is Dave Aranda not in there? What the heck? And I'm like, this isn't. And I guess I should have like made this part clear, but. This isn't me doing like the listicle thing. I'm trying very much not to do the listicle thing of just like names that might make sense. I'm just telling you names that like I am hearing things about. This wasn't meant to be like a who was every possible candidate list. Or like you because it is it is writers and media people offering up who they think should exactly. be on the list. Thank you. Rather than you reporting who you're actually hearing from people who know. Yes. Um, and, and it's a really dangerous part of kind of like how 
this all goes. It's actually my favorite thing. This is me just going on a tangent. We have a whole podcast. I like going on. Like, it's like my mock draft thing that makes me so mad. I vented you about. It's like this thing where all of us, and I, I'm a fan too. I do this. I'm guilty. But like, we're like, we read for months and months and months that this guy's a top 10 pick. And then like, so then when he's at our team at 14, we are just like living. Like, what are you doing? You're not picking this guy? Like, what are you doing? And it's like, they have their own board. They might think he's the 30th best player. There's a reason the other 13 teams also passed on him. There are things that we don't know, and we are basing our notion on like who the fifth best player in the draft is by what we've been reading on, the, in, on mock drafts for six months. And it's, it's right. very similar, and it's a very thing that makes me so mad. It's like the Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase thing. It's like mm-hmm. Panay Sewell wasn't as high on the Bengals board. I've heard that from many people. So it's not like they chose Chase over the better tackle. It's like, no, they didn't think they were as good. Anyway, so that goes back to, and I want to, we're going to get the Lincoln Riley and go and link that in a second, but I just wanted to get to this. It's like the Lane Kiffin thing, the Aranda thing. Like, hey, they might surprise me and absolutely be major candidates and come out of nowhere. Absolutely. But I have not, first off, I would be, I do not think Lane Kiffin will be, both from Scott Woodward's relationship with Nick Saban and just Scott Woodward's overall knowledge of kind of what you're doing at coming off at Ogeron, all these things. I just, I don't think Lane Kiffin was ever a real candidate. And, and then with Dave Aranda, yeah, I just I, I think Dave Rand is totally someone to keep tabs on, and probably I should have thrown his name in there just for safekeeping or saving my ass or whatever. But I have not heard his name really in the search from actual you know people that matter. So that that's kind of right. why I just want to get there. You can take that as you will. No, that's I I think it was good to not include him then because then you're perpetuating this theoretical myth that hasn't sprouted into reality yet. You know, and like I said, I I think I said last episode, and we still have three more weeks of this at least. Oh, totally. I mean, December December first is like the earliest, you know. So, and I've also had people reply like, "See, so yeah, you know, my read because I saw I, I, it's nine fifty when recording this, and the mentions are already kind of out of control. I already had a few commenters or maybe Twitter people being like." You know, my read on that, though, of leaving him out is probably that he's already kind of said no to LSU. And I'm like, guys, what are we doing here? Like, where are you getting this? <laughs> Sorry, just the, the the ways people go is wild. But also... Love to speculate. I know. It's just the confidence people operate with just boggles mm-hmm. my mind. But, but hey, I've, I've actually... I think I'm on the record as, like, one of the biggest... I we Our job is to be unbiased as reporters, but I, I love Dave Aranda. I have been outspoken about that. I think Dave Aranda is brilliant. I think Dave Aranda is one of the sharpest minds in football, if not, like... Like one of flat out the sharpest, and and he's a guy who I love what he's doing at Baylor. And by the way, my colleague Bruce Feldman's reported he is suddenly really rising up the list at USC as a real candidate there. And he's I mean, a it southern makes sense. He's he's a West Coast guy, yeah, you know, SoCal that's guy. I don't know if there's a little bit of an element of like you're firing Clay Helton in part because he's too nice a guy, and then you're hiring like another absurdly nice guy. But they're different dudes, like very different. So I'm I mean, saying. I feel like um, Dave would murder me in an alley if i did something wrong like politely and then Ooh, he would go fair. about his day he's got the killer instinct he just knows he does and clay helton yeah. might just you know try to figure out what went wrong and how i <laughs> diplomacy you know yeah. could fix it and dave was just gonna quickly get the job done and move on so that is very i respect the hell out of that take anyway so yeah it, it, anyway so okay let, here's my I thing feel very healthy alley. after that rant by the way i feel like i've been wanting to get that out for like a <laughs> month now so thank you for obliging or whatever <laughs> Let's let, let's talk about Lincoln Riley for a little bit because I I really don't think we need to dive into it too much for two reasons. One, if we get them, home run. I no complaints. Uh, bring that offense here. Uh, develop these quarterbacks. Like let, let's do it. Let's go. Uh, two, I still have just have this feeling that 
he's not going to come because of a thing you mentioned is that why, why would he not leave an NFL job? I mean, we've talked about it in, in, in regards to Joe Brady, how the NFL is an easier job. And then it's almost too easy to say, look at what Cliff Kingsbury's doing. And that was a, a quote unquote weird, bad hire at the time. Yeah. Now the Cardinals are one of the best teams in the NFL. And, you know, he has a dynamic quarterback that uh, Lincoln Riley happened to have coached. And I don't know. I, I just don't see why that wouldn't be a possibility. I don't know the ins and outs of that, uh, his situation or his preference. But the the reason that I think that LSU would lose out on him is either a big raise at Oklahoma or he just says, let, let me go to the NFL and do my thing. So um, what do you think about that? Thoughts, yeah, no. comments? Yeah, of course. I guess I should preface just with kind of what I'm hearing. And it's that, yeah, I think there has been – and again – I, uh, I don't know how much of this is actual interest in Riley. I have, I have not heard anything from the Riley side, but there has been things I've been hearing pretty steadily the past, you know, week that um, from, you know, some money people, some people like that, that there is, they are garnering money for a big offer at Lincoln Riley. And mm, okay. again, doesn't mean there's actual proof of interest. It doesn't mean anything, but it just means there is, you know, that is something that is gaining steam. And I think that's where this kind of comes from. And I don't know if they even think they really have a chance there, but that is something I've just been hearing. And that's why his name is there. And a lot of it's been kind of like absurd off the rails noise and flight aware tracking stuff, which is exhausting. But I, I do think there is that he would be a home run for LSU. I mean, he is, it's like everyone wants to be the Kiff- splash. The He's, splash. He's the best coach under 40 in football. Like, what are we like, – right. well, I guess Sean McVay. You know what I mean? But, like, at least in college. Like, he is the guy. Like, I, I, it's just mm-hmm. people – I think it goes back to the boredom thing, I think, in some ways or something like that. Like, people who want Lane Kiffin, you don't want the guy who's just developed two straight number one overall picks and the guy who is, like, the, the guy who every NFL team is calling – to right. get like catch up on like what's going on in modern football now and actually catch up offensively. Every team in the NFL called Lincoln Riley. Like, shoot, the Kings to your point, the Kingsbury thing doesn't happen without the Riley thing. Like I think Kingsbury was like almost like a poor man's Riley of like we want to get modern offense in there, you know? So yeah, I I sorry, go on. No, that I mean that that's it to me. Riley's a home run. If we can get him, get him. Like there's no I I don't feel the need to say like I don't know, man. Like, no, that's it. Like, and like, <laughs> Fair, yeah. let's either lose out for an absurd raise at Oklahoma or yeah. an NFL job and then see what happens. Um, and, and I think like the defense thing, it is just worth, I'm not, I mean, I'm not claiming Oklahoma's defense is good. Do not spit at that. I do not think that, but there's just like sometimes worth pointing out guys, Every team, most teams in the country that have these high-powered offenses, it by default means their defense kind of like takes a hit. You saw it in 2019 with LSU. You've seen it with Alabama lately, like in in most recent years. You've seen it constantly with Oklahoma. Like, I Mm. do think there's just an – and here's the best way I'd explain it to people. And I'm an SP Plus believer. I think it's the best way to calculate kind of just – who was actually good and, and efficiency and replicable things. And LS, Oklahoma this year, even a flawed Oklahoma team has the number two offensive SP plus ranking in the country. Number 60 defense. That would seem like a red flag, right? But they are still number 11 overall in total SP plus. Like they consider them the 11th best team in the country. And my point there is basically to highlight the difference between like that insane number two overall in the country offense is like that is so much more special than a defense that actually it just means it's pretty decent. 
Like that, you know, you know what, I'm, what I'm trying to say here? Like that, that two is way more powerful than that 60. Does that make I'll sense? I'll take that every time. Yeah, that exactly. is a transaction. I swipe the card. 60 the means check. you can hold your own. Like I think that, that is actually what that means because it's opponent adjusted, all these things. Like that means you can hold your own. While number two means you are off the charts special. And I think that's the way to frame it. This is even a good Oklahoma team. So, yeah. Write and, the check. Yeah. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if it's realistic. It's just kind of that's where the focus, at least the buzz, seems to be right now, I guess, is the best way I, to put I it. mean, I, I would be thrilled. And, you know, yeah. I, I put this later in our notes, but the interesting thing is that people are saying because the the playoff committee did not rank Oklahoma very highly before this weekend's game. And, Turns out they might have been right about that. You know, oh, yeah. Oklahoma was nine and zero and like number eight. An incredibly right? flawed nine and zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So flawed nine and zero, and they go and get pretty soundly beaten by Dave Aranda this weekend. Um, but to me, if that knocks them out of playoff contention, they do not make the playoff. That means that Lincoln Riley could become the LSU head coach a lot sooner than before. <laughs> That's interesting. I thought of that way. No, I it's mean. Uh, it, because, like, like we've said before, if, if LSU ends up waiting until late December, you know, um, you would assume that they are waiting on somebody to finish their season, uh, especially with all these bigger jobs opening up and competition and blah blah blah. blah. So, yeah, it's about um, you know what? Cycle. I would be I would be really okay if Oklahoma happens to barely miss the playoff this year. If it means <laughs> I feel it's conf- can- I feel safe saying they're out now. Like they are. Yeah, they, I do they are out. Yeah. I do too. I mean, you know, famous last words, but yes. But, and it also goes back to like the possibility thing. And again, <laughs> I preface this again with I would still be surprised if Lincoln Riley's LSU's coach, just because one, I've always believed he's going to the NFL if he's ever going to leave. Two, like he has things rolling there. Like his recruiting is getting better each year. You know, he's getting more five star type guys, all that. Mm-hmm. But there is just my my theory out there if there were a rationale. And this is a devil's advocate rationale, but they are joining the SEC. And we, I've said this before on the show, but you are in Big 12. And I think there are very few properties in college football where you can be in a slightly weaker conference, but you have the benefit of the doubt that when you go 11-1 and 1 and 12-0, and 0, there is an understanding that you're good. You know what I mean? Like Ohio State's right. there. Uh and, and Clemson is 100% there. And I think Oklahoma is the only other one where it's like you can be in a weaker. I'm not Big 12 is not bad. God, great football conference. But like you can go 11 and 1 there and get the benefit of the doubt because you're Oklahoma. And that's a really comfortable place to be. But now they're about to join the Big 12. And we've seen them get beat pretty SEC. bad by some. Oh, so sorry. You're going to join the SEC. Thanks, my guy. Okay. And you are going to now be playing teams that, you know, you've lost to in a lot of bowl games and playoffs in the past. And it's not like they're going to be bad. Oklahoma's going to be great. The recruiting probably should take a bump. You know what I mean? The now that they're there. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, you are now going to get marginalized. You are now, in, in just terms of composite top-to-bottom talent, okay, what? It goes Alabama, Georgia, and then LSU probably, and then, like, you know, Florida. And, like, I'd say, like, Florida and Oklahoma and Auburn, like, they're probably in a similar zone, right? Or A&M. A&M's right there, too. A&M's right four. Right. Like, those right. guys are probably all in the same zone after LSU in terms of just talent talent. So, like, again, I think Lincoln Riley's a great coach. He'll figure it out. They'll probably win and do well. But it's realistic to assume you're going to be in that same zone as those teams where you are going to lose two games a year, three games a year, like an A&M or a Florida. Like, that is suddenly the more realistic thing. So you might get marginalized and weakened, and when all of a sudden it might be more appealing to go to an LSU where there is a slightly, if you get it rolling, I don't know, easier path to great. I don't know. Oklahoma's a great job, so I'm not criticizing it. It's just that's my 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 galaxy brain theory. I mean, it, it, it comes back to what we have talked about this job 
all the time is that every the last three coaches have won national titles. I'm not going to say it's easy to win a national title at LSU, but the floor is higher and uh, coaches who are not exactly respected as masterminds of the game have won national titles at LSU. So <laughs> yeah. if you bring in an offensive guru who can also recruit his ass off, it's not hard to see why he would do that. So look, he's number one. I think we should move on. Uh, yes, if, if Scott gets them, it's a home run. And I think if he comes, it's going to be because Scott offers him $12.5 million a year. And that's hard to say no to. And then he's here wearing purple and gold. So that would be, that would make my day. Um, two interesting names in your list that I thought um, were just curious is I want to start with Billy Napier because there has been this, um, how do I say, uh, reputation or uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Damn. Uh, I don't know. Actually. I want to be the, the notion has been accepted that Napier is very well respected by LSU people, but he's just not the guy you want. You do not want to go to Lafayette and hire the Sun Belt coach, no matter how impressive he is. Yeah. And in your story, and it seems like maybe that is changing a little bit. That while he's not the top candidate, LSU is keeping tabs on him. Uh, yes. Can you go into more of what you're hearing about that? Because I, while it's slight, I think that does represent a big change in public perception wise. Yeah. And I don't want to go too far with it. It's just some things you've been hearing lately. But the thing is, uh, even I want to say like nine days ago, like I talked to somebody who was, you know, in the two different people who were kind of in the know, who pretty much like said something along the lines of Napier's camp is making it clear to LSU. Like they would like that job. I believe Jordy Culotta even reported, and he seems like he has a good relationship with the Napier camp. He even reported that, you know, Napier's made it clear to LSU he is not going to go for other jobs until he knows what LSU is doing. Like, and, and I, I trust Jordy's information on that. Like, I, I think they're Napier wants it. Let's put it that way. And I had been told like Scott Woodward wouldn't even entertain an interview with him. Like he was just kind of like no shot. And and I'd heard that from a few people, which is why it was so interesting that in the past five days, from two different pretty good sources, I had heard that say he is actually viewing Napier as his. You know, maybe not literal like number two backup. That could be a loaded term, but you know his yeah. his backup in the holster. That that's his guy. That like he is doing more of his due diligence on, and he might be talking to him, and he might be looking into more. And you know, I did just write a profile of Napier on uh, that ran what Thursday, I believe. So hey, um, yep. check that out. But I like to believe I sparked the change. I don't think so. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there does seem to at least be like again, I don't think Napier. I'm not putting my money on Billy Napier necessarily as LSU's next coach, but it does seem like there is, like you said, a slight change in in how they are viewing it or something. Or, and you know, and again, I have to say this, and it's like the biggest couching thing ever. But it's actually admitting I might have bad information is the fact that. Woodward is good at misdirecting and good at, you know, putting your eyes one place and not letting you look at another. Napier might have always been a possibility. You know what I mean? Like, he might have been a possibility from the start and they just hit, you know, that that is so worth pointing out because I just don't know. But I I think that's relevant. So he is somebody that I think is getting a little more due diligence. He's a program builder. He's a process guy. He's a Saban guy in the truest sense. And by that, I mean like the way he runs his program is very Saban-y. His values are very Saban-y. I think I had two different sources in that story say he is basically Saban on the offensive side of the ball and a little more chill. Like, And I think there's some interesting things there. And I think he'd do really well here. I also think he'd hire a good staff here. That's a real thing. But I want to use that, unless you have something you want to jump in on, 
No, I mean the last thing. The last thing I want to talk about Napier is it's interesting that a few weeks ago I think you mentioned that maybe Bruce Feldman had reported that he was interested in a Virginia Tech job, yes. which opened this morning. Yes, about, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, Virginia about Tech. nine a.m. Central, they announced it's interesting to announce a coaching change on Tuesday of a game week. But uh, Virginia and Tech Stephen and Godfrey, Fintip, who um, is yeah. always really good at like having his finger on what's really happening with coaching searches. He's very good at that. He tweeted, if you're asking why now at Virginia Tech when Fuente's buyout is due to drop next month, look around at which jobs are open, who's connected to them, and when they might make a hire. And I think that, yes. I'm not assuming he's talking about Napier, but I I think there's probably something to that. Because if if you're saying that Scott may be keeping Billy as a backup or a safe option for him, then Billy says, hey, I have an offer for Virginia Tech, and Scott will be like, Okay, good luck. Probably or maybe <laughs> yeah, not. I don't know. You know, yeah. you never but like that'll be the leverage that Napier needs if he if he does end up going there. So And also Virginia um, Tech could be like Sonny Dykes. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like I and the thing with Napier it's so hard to tell is he's been linked to TCU a little bit and there's been some conversations there from what I've heard, but I don't know. Okay. Dykes Dykes has always been kind of like the big name there from SMU at TCU. Like he was like the first name everyone mentioned. I don't know if he's a, the main candidate or if it's a Napier. I genuinely don't know. Or I don't know if Virginia or shoot, I you just the more Florida just looks like a disaster. You just don't know oh if that gosh. might somehow don't, open. I don't want to start on your we're boy not Dan going Mullen. down that rabbit hole. I won't let you. But like they you're need about to, fire to do him it tomorrow. But that's, I don't that's the thing, you fire the coordinator, it's not to fire him. So um who knows if he'd be a candidate at Florida. Virginia Tech makes just it just feet I don't know why. Virginia Tech just feels right to me for some reason. For for Billy Napier. But I don't know. But I say all this is a pivot to I think in some ways, the better way to frame this is so throughout this whole process, there has just been this notion, not even a notion, like people keep telling me there's a belief that Woodward might have his guy this whole time. Like, or not mm-hmm. even have his guy, I shouldn't say that, have a guy in his back pocket that none of us are talking about at all. And that yeah. is actually a candidate. And I don't know who that is. You know, there's been buzz about like Matt Rule's suddenly been like a name circulating. I don't know if there's any validity to that. I That's have not. Biz- that is bizarre to me. I mean, I mean, that would be a home I, run to I, me. But I had actually, I had, actually, I feel like I had heard that from someone else too. Um, and that wasn't my know, point. I'm not trying to go down that path. That was but. no, I know, but it's just like what I don't understand why he would leave that NFL head coaching job. Uh, when... Well, things are kind of up and down there right now. I don't know, but you know, it's kind of they've had a rough month um yeah or maybe sometimes you know you just learn you don't love the nfl like it's totally possible but yeah again yeah that'd be an incredible home run but i don't know if that's so my point is yeah like some people are wondering wait is that guy rule i don't know i haven't heard much really connected to him even a mark stoops name has been like thrown around i can't tell if that's just like agents help you know like agent favor stuff you know that of course but one pretty good person told me and and i kind of backed it up with another person who back you know kind of confirmed there's something to that is that maybe that name, and again, so speculation, that's why I hate this stuff, is maybe Iowa State's Matt Campbell. Now, I don't know how real it is. I don't have much more information, just the idea that, and I heard from one person like, hey, you know, it seems like Woodward has moved on to the the, the Campbells of his list, and I don't know what that means. But I am a believer that Campbell, I mean, I every job that comes open, I view Campbell as the best candidate in the country. Like, I, that's, I, it's worth me, maybe fickle, but... 
of the up and comers, I should say, like not your, you know, yeah, Lincoln Riley's and Davos Winnie's, those are a different thing. But of the guys who are mm-hmm. like up for big jobs, I view Campbell as number one or one B with Fickle or something like that. Like he is to me the real deal. He's a guy who's turned down two NFL jobs already. Like, and he's just a different kind of dude. And he's, and it's worth like bringing up, okay, so he, Five years at Toledo, won nine games, three out of five years. By his second year, he was winning nine games. That's impressive. He goes to Iowa State, which I would say historically is, I don't know, like it's probably, I think Kansas and Indiana are known as like the two worst Power Five programs historically, but is Iowa State third or fourth? Vanderbilt's up there. But like Iowa State's in that bottom four or five tier for sure. That's a really, Mm. really hard job. In the, I think, 11 years before he arrived, they had one, they had one winning season. You know, like before Campbell arrived at Iowa State. And he has made that a real contender. And I know you might look at his record and be like, I don't know, eight and five, eight and five, seven and six, nine and three. But college football is the number one thing where context matters. Like, we have to get that. Like, going eight and five and beating really, like, they're winning big games, right? Like, there's at least two big wins they have a year where they're beating better teams. And they're consistent. They were top 10 in the country last year. And now this year, they're another tough team. And, like, they are a real contender in the country and a, a national name now for a program that was nothing close to that. He's And I, I people bring up development, but I think Matt Campbell, even more than that, is a great evaluator of recruiting. And that's like the part that gets left out so often that I always want to scream on the mountaintop out, yes, stars matter, but evaluation matters too. There's so many five stars you shouldn't touch and things like that. He's really, really good at that. So I think Matt Campbell might not be an obvious fit at LSU. And quite frankly, I don't know if he'd work at LSU because you know he doesn't chase five stars historically at all. But right. I just think he's the real deal. So I think he'd figure it out. I don't know how real that rumor is and any of that stuff, but that is my Matt Campbell rant. I I am going to slot him into the – I would really convince myself, and I, I, I know that he would probably do a great job here. He does not move the needle for me. Not right now. I, I just feel like wait, every really? single year – What do you – I feel what? like I, – I just feel like every single year I have watched Iowa State lose a dumb game. Yeah, but what does that mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. I our, just our context is like skewed on that. Like Iowa State's in these games that should be winning every year. Like he has made them like a top fifteen program. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not gonna hold against a worse team for constantly being in close games against these. I don't know. Does that make any sense? It just it, it just seems like they are a team that somehow plays down to their competition a lot. Billy Napier's teams do this too. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. Nobody can understand it, but and it, it it is the fallacy of judging by the year that they are coming off. And Iowa State has not had a good year by their standards. Yeah, that, by their by their standards, that to your point, Matt Campbell has built up from nothing into what they are. But I mean, it he's been there be since 2016 now. Sure. Like he is the his, the foundation is his. The recruits are his. Like th- this is his program, and they're six and four this year. They had a bad loss this weekend. Um, I, you know, I know he would do a great job because like we say the the floor is high at LSU and he's energetic. He's young. He is an attractive candidate to a lot of people. Um, I don't know. I just, but it doesn't wow me, but I maybe that is, that point. is a recency bias. But if he goes say hypothetically eight and four, that is an incredible coaching job any year at Iowa state. Like you're saying like, He's year five or year six, right? Like, he should be doing more. Like, no, it means the Dan Mullen Mississippi State thing. That's exactly what it is to me, if anything more impressive. Well, ways. bad comparison. Look at Dan Mullen. Okay, let's not 
my man is my man is drowning but the, the the point that doesn't change the point that he did an unbelievable job at Mississippi State. Like I get that, it was one I of the get best that. But, I, but I'm, I'm saying that. But no, but I, my my thing is, you're saying like you're six. He should have things like better and rolling. It's his guys, and it's like no, Iowa State should in no world be a consistent ten and two team. Like that is not a fair metric. The fact that he has even ever got Iowa State top ten and that he consistently makes them like a pretty good team. Like if he goes eight and four every year. That's why college football is my favorite thing is because it is all context. Like if he goes eight and four every season for the next 10 years at Iowa State, I would consider him like the fourth best coach in the country. It's why I think Pat Fitzgerald's a top 10 coach. You know, like it is context. That is unbelievable. It's why Dan Mullen was so high on my list in Mississippi State. I know it didn't work out, but the point is like – so I, my point is I don't think it's like fair to be like, wow, he's not 10 and two this year. That's, it's like, no, the fact he's not five and seven is amazing. I get that, but I, I I guess I just think about it a little differently to where, like you you're still judging Iowa State by their 2014 standards. Like, why why are why are we still judging them on what they were 10 years ago? Like he has he has he has built this program into his program. I mean, I don't know. These things are malleable. It's and real capitalistic thinking from you, my guy. You know, you I, think I'm, you need I'm just saying growth on the return, and I'm like him keeping them there is the amazing thing. I get it. I get it. I just like you know what? It's not I, I, I look around and I see. I see. I, I just I see some better options. Keep increasing to title team. Like that's not a fair thing. It's not like it's fair to be like, wow, he got them by from 2016 to 19 to a top program. Why is he by 21 not in the playoff? It's like no, he got them there and he's keeping them relevant. I'm not. I'm not saying here. he needs to be in the playoff every year, but. I'm, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think we're seeing here, here, here's, here's the thing, Brody, is that, is that I think any, any candidate LSU hires is going to succeed at LSU in some form or fashion. I don't know how long they'll succeed because I think LSU is set up for winning. And if they hire Matt Campbell, I'm going to come on this podcast and say, I think we're going 11 one next year because <laughs> I'm going to like, I believe in, in LSU. I, you know, obviously I love LSU and I'm I'm a fan. I'm going to convince myself that he's going to be great. But as I'm standing right now, I would take a few other guys rather than him. That's it. Fair enough. I I guess my thing is there are jobs. Okay, LSU is actually an example, and the fact they haven't been in is proof of the problem. But you know there are programs like your Oklahomas and your Ohio States, and even like you know the Michigans of the world, right? Where like you should steadily like you have the resources the infrastructure the talent to always be in that 9 to 10 to 11 win range and like anything that drops below that is an outlier and i think you are wired to that thinking but in reality programs like in indiana that i am an alumnus of or uh, iowa state or what are some other like programs that are like overachieving the last few years a wake forest is actually a great example like they're just a really well coached team but just the honest to god just reality that it's just not fair to short is that those programs might overachieve every few years because they're really well really well run and they might have these stretches where they like really make a jump but they are also programs that do not have the, the ability to be consistently at that level. They are going to have your Indiana's two and eight this year. I still don't think anyone's saying Tom Allen's not one of like the great young coaches coming up right now. Like there, oh, I did not mean to just bang my table. That was an accident, but I'm not angry. But <laughs> my hand hurts though. Uh, but like, I don't. It's they are going to have dips. That is just the nature of those jobs. It is not realistic to expect them to constantly be like steady every year. Like a, like mm. these other jobs, like you are accustomed to at LSU to have. That is my thing. 
I get it. Here's here, here's the other thing, and this is a totally thing that I'm just uh, positing right now, is that is there any reality to our truth to the notion that maybe guys like Dan Mullen and Matt Campbell who raise the floor on these shitty programs, to be fair, and then really succeed, and then they they just can't do it at the next level because they're not like. If you look at Dan Mullen, he hasn't he hasn't been recruiting. It's very clear that he's not a great recruiter. He needs good recruiters yep. on staff. And you know Matt Campbell. There's if you say the notion that he doesn't go after five stars and he's really selective, but also like he couldn't do that at LSU. That that's not going to fly. Yeah. So like, is he going to completely change his recru- recruiting philosophy if he gets hired here? If he gets hired to any big time job? No, like, that's the great question. He, yeah. He I, will have he he would have to evolve. And you could say that, yes, he's going to build a great program, but like he will have to change. And that's why I would look at a guy like Lincoln Riley or a guy like, I know I keep going back to Lane Kiffin, but he's recruiting at a high level in the SEC. He is charismatic. Lincoln Riley does it. Um, that's why I like Jane, James Franklin at the start. I know he's kind of gone away. And even Jimbo Fisher, for whatever reservations I've expressed about him, is recruiting at a high level, is recruiting five-star talent, has proven that he can do that. And at LSU, you are set up to do that, and then you have to do it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, that part is the valid question I will back up. Yeah, like that is my number one thing with Campbell. I had heard from even like people who know better than me that like Campbell had always said he doesn't want to chase five stars. Like those are the questions I'm behind. I'm with you. Well, and, that's and not going to fly. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. I think he's a great recruiter. I mean, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like it's not one or the other. It's just – and that that is my question. I think it's such a good thing. It's like the guys who can – overachieve at smaller schools doesn't necessarily mean they can that that is not me saying yes or no to Campbell it's just it is a real question I wonder that all the time it goes back to my my oh yeah you and I talk about this at breakfast and it's my favorite thing to talk about but like my brother who's a pro baseball player once explained to me that like there are hitters who are just okay hitters in the minor leagues and then they get to the pros and they're actually way better hitters because the pitchers know exactly what they're doing. You know what I mean? And like right. and, and like they when they're when they're trying to hit a certain spot that you're predicting, they actually hit it. While in the minors, you might have like they mess up, so it makes you a worse hitter. And I, I really do believe that a lot in coaching. My parallel is like there are guys who might be and it works both ways, right? There might be guys who are the great minor league hitters, the guys who are amazing at elevating the talent at lesser jobs, but aren't necessarily designed to thrive to your exact point at you know, these power five powers, you know, that's just a different thing. And there are some that you get them to that level and it unlocks them and actually makes them better. And mm-hmm. part of me wonders if Napier is actually more of that because Napier, while he isn't recruiting elite guys or five-star guys at Louisiana right now, he has that in him more. You know what I mean? Like right. he has a background yes. with it and not even just background that just seems like his, he's a skilled in that area, I believe. So like yep. he might be someone who's unlocked and Campbell isn't or Campbell will unlock. I don't know, but I do love that you brought that up because I completely agree. I just, that's the hardest thing for me to figure out. And even like a Tom Herman who would have checked every single box in the entire world. He was a big power five recruiter. He was the rising star assistant who elevated the floor, all that stuff. He bombed. Same with Frost who had big time recruiting, well, kind of big time recruiting background. And then Fuente who just got fired at Virginia Tech. Doesn't have that huge background, so that's a, I guess that's a reasonable qualm. But he was a just no-brainer hire that we all praise. So I just give up. I was just, I was just imagining and laughing that Scott Woodward listening to this podcast and noting that he has not called Matt Campbell and he doesn't give a shit about Matt Campbell. If after you and I oh, yeah. have just spent about twenty minutes hashing oh, yeah. out, that's that's what podcasting no. is, man. <laughs>
Oh, there might be uh, nothing to this. And, and yeah, if you're listening fine. at this point, I hope we've made that as clear as humanly possible. But that is what we're doing, man. We're discussing possibilities. That's right. Um, let's, you know, it's interesting. I, I think I put a note on our show rundown about, I, I was thinking a lot about this job and looking at Texas right now because. So I didn't know what you meant. I, I just, for, for our listeners, you just it's put just Texas interesting comp. That, like, what does that mean? Well, because, I mean, you you know, they lost to Kansas this weekend. It was a horrific loss for Texas. And they hired Sark. Sark was probably the best candidate in the job market. One of the best candidates in the job market. It seemed like a home run hire. It it seemed like the second time in a row that Texas has bagged a home run hire. <laughs> and I don't know what it is about the culture over there or the booster meddling. You know, you read all the stuff from the outside. I don't know anything about the inside of it, but it's a mess. Yeah. Like, Sark, you know, I, I read somebody or heard somebody on a podcast say Sark is going through the coaching cycle of Herman just in like four months. <laughs> yep. That he's going from Texas's back to Texas is like losing to Kansas at Daryl K. Royal for the first time in, in the history of that rivalry. And it's not even a rivalry, but like the history of that matchup, they lost and it was a new low and you know there's even people on message board saying that Sark should be fired which is hilarious but like I want to avoid that because we do have this reputation as you know there's big money movers around the program and it's a lot of pressure here and there's a lot you have to deal with PR wise and booster relations wise and all that kind of stuff and a I'm thankful that I haven't seen stuff like that I mean Texas seems like more of a shit show than LSU is but I don't want to. I'm just like, please don't make you me see go the there. chance you could become that. Oh my gosh! I mean, if 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 you would have moved Cocho's timeline back to last year, getting fired, and we would have gotten Sark, I would have been jumping on the table. I would have said we yeah. we won. I mean, you know, for whatever problems or that that Sark presents, like he had this high flying offense. He was a great offensive coordinator, both the NFL and at college. And like, hell yeah, let's go. And now he's he's having to explain away a loss to Kansas. I just oh man. So <laughs> let's avoid that. Let's yeah. not do that because you know Texas has all the money in the world too. And look at what's happening over there. So let's avoid that. Um, should we talk about the game that just happened this weekend? Briefly, yes. I would like to mention two points. One, I'm ready for the year to be over. Yeah. I'm sad to say. With you. Two. I'm so proud and so happy that the players clearly still give a damn. Yeah. Like it is, I don't know if it's more heartbreaking or weirdly better that they should have won their last two games with, you know, it, it is an old storyline at this point, how depleted the roster is and how nobody's playing, you know, Cordell Flock came back this weekend. It was, it was good. The defense is playing their ass off and, the offense is the offense. You know, we saw Garrett Nussmeyer get his shot and he had some spectacular moments. He had some bad moments. It was his first start or it's not even a start, but it was his first significant meaningful playing time. Yeah. Um, I really wish they wouldn't have run a wildcat to Ty Davis price when LSU was about to seize control of the game. But like, you know, this is, this is going to go up on Tuesday. So with this is not, this is an old talking point, but I think LSU could have really grabbed control of that game and it would have been a great win. And they didn't get it. I feel bad for those players. I 
don't really feel bad for the coaches, but whatever. I mean, Durante Jones, like, hats off to you. I, yeah. I, I hope he gets a good job somewhere. I, I don't know if a new coach would even think about retaining him, but um, he deserves good stuff because clearly he's scheming up and they're doing a great job. So it, it was just... It was just a real bummer overall because it's like, oh, my pride is swelling yeah. and we're still losing. No, so. that's that's the best way to put it. And I think, I mean, you had Ed Ogeron like walking into his press conference. Like I've never seen him. Like I, I've seen Ogeron emotional many times. Like, you know, like it's a more like extreme emotion. I've never in my four years covering him seen him just kind of like defeated with tears in his eyes. Like it was just yeah. like a... It was more of like a man, nothing is just working thing. And that's what made it mm-hmm. so sad because to your point, I think what makes it sad is apathy is one thing, right? Like right. losing to Ole Miss 31-17 even or getting routed by Kentucky or whatever. I don't know. Like those are things you just kind of can accept. It's like, man, yeah, we, we kind of quit that game. Or, oh, you know, they adjusted and we got blown out. Like just things that are like pinpointable. And this I think what's really just like breaking him and I think breaking a lot of fans and to your exact point is they are shocking us. They are showing, LSU is showing an extreme fight with 12 legitimate starters out and all these things and everything going wrong. They are actually like playing some of the best defense they've ever played. And Dante Jones is doing a great job. That defense is attacking. They are in mm-hmm. games that they should be controlling. And w- like both Alabama might be one of those ones that's tough because they had chances, but it's like, you know, it's just tricky, right? Like I think Alabama play- outplayed them in like, eight out of ten ways just lsu blew its chances if that makes any sense yeah but, it does yeah but arkansas was like lsu should have won like they just in every single way should have won were in control to take control i mean in control to just run away with it and they just messed up in like eight different ways and just silly mistakes and dumb things and and all of a sudden that's what i think breaks them breaks an ogeron it's just like man we are fighting and we're still blowing it and that's what's really tough to wrap your head around and back to the nussmeyer thing we were talking about this before air but i just have to say it i saw like 10 tweets one or two from like media types i actually respect which even blew my mind more people tweeting like nussmeyer just ain't it like what are we doing here? This is the parts that make, like make me hate my job at small moments. <laughs> it's just like in little bits. It's just like people just like you saw three and a half quarters of an eighteen-year-old true freshman who's like the whole scouting report was he's raw as hell but super talented, and then he goes out there and yeah didn't play a great football game. Had like two amazing moments and then made mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes and are like he ain't it and it's like he wasn't supposed to be playing yet. You are judging a guy off his first ever start. Like, do you want to go back to 18 Burrow or whatever? Like, whatever. Like, also, he was still 21 when that happened. Like, right. just all the, it just blows my mind that a pure upside guy you're out on. If, I know that's not everyone, but I just have to go on that thing. And yeah, maybe they win that game if Johnson's back in there. It's probably a decent argument for it. I don't know the answer. Maybe. It, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm I with mean, you. Yeah. I don't, I don't really feel confident one way or the other. The right. thing is that it, it, I hope that. If it's at LSU or wherever Nussmeier goes, I hope he doesn't lose that confidence because, like, I mean, the la- the last play is perfect. The interception, uh, you know, it's one on one coverage, and he pulled it. There's there's no hesitation. Like he pulled, he, he threw the ball. That's where he was going. Threw a bad pass. That and that was it. Yeah. And then the game was over. And you know, he, he made some mistakes early in the game, and he also made some good throws. I mean. Yeah, it wasn't overtime, pass right? Was the, unbelievable. Um, like that was a that is literally the selling point for Garrett Nussmeyer. It was that spin out of two sacks, throw that twenty nine yard heave. Like that's Manzel esque stuff that people want. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, it's I mean, it's just you you saw the full package. He's gonna learn from it. Um 
hopefully it's for LSU. I don't know. I mean, there's there's going to be so many changes to this roster and to the makeup of this team, depending on who they hire as coach and what this team even looks like next year. Um, so and you're anyway, saying, I, like if he's still there, like I, I mean, well, Ogeron's messed up some stuff that we talked about like last week that might actually be like who knows if he actually's there because of how Ogeron messed that up. But with the whole red shirt thing and his dad yeah. and all that, but still, like there's no reason Usmeyer should leave. Like he could be the future. He's a super, super, super special talent if he gets harnessed correctly and all these things. And even like people. So many of the questions post game to Nussmeyer were so interesting. There were so many people asking, like, you know, could, would you take that pass back? Like, talking in a way that was like that interception was his risky nature coming out again. And don't get me wrong, I have talked hours on this podcast about his risky nature. That first interception was that risky nature. Like, there's a lot we could talk about with that, no doubt. I don't understand that last interception being a, an, an example of that. That was a designed play to throw a fade in that one-on-one. He threw it in a one-on-one. It's like he was throwing into traffic. Like that's not being. Do you are you with me on this? Like that's not being I, a risky passer. Like he the, missed if, the if throw. If the ball is thrown, he missed yeah. the throw. If the ball is thrown two feet to the right, it's a back shoulder grab, and we are talking about how he like Max Johnson should look at the transferring tomorrow because it's it, it's a pro throw that the, the guy catches, and then all of a sudden LSU wins the game. So yeah, you can criticize the play call even. Yeah, because no, who knows if like, I don't know if I love one on ones in the corner. I think we're on the same page there. But yeah, like it's just like it's sorry, I just had to go on that rant. Like that wasn't him being like a risky passer. He did what the play called and he just missed the throw. Yep. Yeah, I have a lot I, of so thoughts today. I, I'm usually not this opinionated. I'm so sorry. So I guess let's let, let's transition into this weekend, and we don't even have to linger too much. Um, Nussmeier is not going to play, right? That that is the plan. It appears. He didn't necessarily say that, so I won't pretend I know either. I haven't really asked around too much on it. But, yeah, Johnson is going to be the starter this week. And they basically indicated that the the red shirt is still on the table for Nussmeier. So you assume some conversations happen in the last few days. But I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much. We assume it's going to be a win. I don't even want to consider the terrible reality where Terry Bowden and um, Rich Rodriguez come into Tiger Stadium and win with ULM. I know they've had some fun wins this year when they've been big underdogs, but – that would be a new low. So I hope if they lose, I hope Athy does not hit. You didn't like that joke? Wait, I, I missed it. Sorry, I was talking. Oh, I said if they lose, they should fire at Ogeron. No, boo. Boo. Who was saying next to that made that? Oh, Alex Scarborough at ESPN <laughs> just made that joke like twelve times the old Miss game. Like, ah, I think it's time to fire him. And I'm like, I I heard that joke so many times this weekend too. You know what? I think they should fire the head coach after this. It's one. getting oh, messy, God. man. This is just gotta, I'm just going to end on that note. Well, this man. is this, this is the messy. part where the press conferences are getting ugly. This is this is the part we talked about a couple weeks ago when I was when I was like basically telling you that I don't understand how he's going to coach out the rest of the year, yep. and there is some apathy to this point where like he's just kind of there to to us fans. I mean, like I think there's still a lot of love for Ed because of what he did, but like right now it's this weird thing where like we haven't said bye to him yet. He's still living yeah. in the house um and the team's playing well and I, i'm really focusing on the players you know because a which of them are going to be back next year who's going to start next year whatever whatever but like it's just so interesting that like uh, like you can't even talk about the coaching that much i mean yeah i don't know it's bizarre so i'm that that's one of the reasons i'm ready for the season to be over totally i mean i i am interested to see how they look on saturday just I'd love to see a blowout, like an easy, like forty-five to three, would be lovely. 
you never know, man. It's hard to predict. Um, yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, this ULM week, and we talked for 90 seconds about the game. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, thanks that's for listening. That's fitting. Uh, yeah, rate us everywhere. Um, somebody tweet me and tell me if I'm on the right track about Matt Campbell and why Brody's wrong. I just That's think what he's I a want. really good football coach. Your questions about if he'd work at a Power Five were valid. I just think he's an elite football coach. Yeah, I just I want to hear some hot takes. Not Power Five, so but a top five. Send me the hot takes. Rate us seven stars, however many stars you can give, and um, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>